Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we are biracial unicorns. And we're not emotional. It's just allergies. Allergy season is real. You you have allergies pretty bad, don't you? Oh, they're terrible. I have really bad allergies. I take two different kinds of allergy medication every day, and I still have bad allergies. Holy cow. Have you done like the whole test where they prick you and all that jazz? I haven't, uh, <laughs> but I I did talk to a doctor about my allergies, and they said we could do the tests, but they're expensive, and it's not always conclusive, and it's, mm. you know, it's a general test. It's not, like, region-specific, so they don't necessarily test for all the things I could be allergic to here. They said if my allergies were really bad, I could always come in and get a shot to... Mm help but that seems excessive i don't know maybe i should look into it yeah because honestly like my husband when he he went from washington which his allergies were quite bad here to new mexico where it would just be debilitating um they're not as bad here in england but there would just be about about a month where i just didn't have like my normal husband because he would just be crippled by overwhelming allergies um but yeah, I mean, they. I guess there's like last year, a lot of people who'd never had allergies, including myself, had it. There was just like a rotation of some kind of bloom and flower in the air that was M. Night Shyamalaning us. <laughs> well, and allergies take time to develop, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like a an immune reaction to things in your environment. And so I hear, you know, it takes a certain number of years living in a place before you develop allergies. Mm-hmm. But... Girl. And I don't think I lived there long enough. Three years is probably not long enough to develop allergies. But I can't believe that I lived in fucking Hawaii and had no allergies. For real? And, like, everything grows yes. everywhere all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> and I didn't have allergies. But yet living in New Mexico, I have, like, terrible allergies from spring until fall every oh. year. Oh, I'm like, my family's lived here for hundreds of years. <laughs> it's in my blood, damn it. <laughs> please, please. Can't we, like, evolve? <laughs> I know that's not how it works. You don't have to tell no, me that's not no. how it works. But I'm about to say, people are going to be like, um, Danny, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we're biracial unicorns, and this is a podcast about allergies. <laughs> and it is. And if you're joining us, pollen is the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Besides being allergic, how was your week? Fine. Okay. <laughs> that's that's always my reaction. It was it was okay. How was yours? Mm, girl, same. No, it was it was a bit busy. My my family that came to visit, we they got back. They got back safe and sound, and just trying to conquer a massive, massive to do list. It's going to be crazy until like the end of May. So. Yeah, that's. The way springtime rolls. Yeah, it's kind of rude about it, but yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> well, are we are we prepared for today's topic, my friend? I was born ready for this topic. <laughs> yes, girl. Um, you know, it's funny. We I don't think we necessarily had like a viewer or listener kind of question for this, but I think it's one of those things we have talked about ever so slightly in other topics and we've kind of skirted around it because we wanted to give it its full episode glory. I don't know. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. 
I think people have asked us our opinions on facets of this topic. Today, we are going to try to tackle or just give our own perspective and experience with the uh, sexualization of women in general of mixed women, because that's what we are. And that's our experience. Yeah. And I think if we're if we're talking about the sexualization of mixed women, we have to start the conversation with the sexualization of women in general. Dot. Despite color. (laughs) Women are super aware of this Mm -hmm. because it's something we've all encountered. Oh, yeah. For most of our lives. And I think it's only been recently that men have started to become aware of the fact that this happens. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. That's my perspective of, of it. But it's, you know, since the time I was like 13, anytime I walk down the street, I get hollered at. Like literally every single time I walk down the street or I bike somewhere, there's going to be a man who yells shit at me. No, true, true, true. And I mean, I I don't know. I would be interested to know people other and like, and maybe it's a, a intensive city thing. But actually, the absolute same of just especially dusk on Central Avenue in Albuquerque, New Mexico, being hollered and yelled at in multiple languages with normally some kind of very heavy bass music playing in the background. Riding my bike back and forth. Oh, riding my bike. I don't know why that made it worse. Anytime I rode my bike, I would always get, as they say, hollered at, as the young kids are saying. But I even just remember even in school, I mean... I um I remember I quite a bit of a tomboy and wore a lot of baggy pants, a lot of baggy clothes. Or, that was also the style. Yeah, when we were in school had like a tang kind of top crop, not crop, but it was just be smaller because boobs weren't in yeah. at the time. And big yeah, baggy it was pants. like midriffy tight top and big baggy pants was kind yeah. of the style when we were in high school. It's a perfect silhouette, <laughs> just very flattering for all females. <laughs> Massive hips, no boobs. Just, it was very trendy. Um, but I remember, I remember one time I was like feeling myself, and I just wanted to try a skirt, like a jean. And of course, like I said, even when I was quite tiny, I still had lots of hips and buttocks. I wore a skirt that was completely within school regulation, and I had out of our seven classes because that was the year I think we had seven. I had five teachers take me out and talk about what was up with my skirt, my my denim skirt. I'm like, it's it, it's within the rules. It's it's the right length. And I'm just like, why are you so focused on my body and my curves? D- does that make sense? Like, even at that age, I think I might have been 15, 15 or 16. And it was at that moment where it's just like, even within a school compound, everything about my body is a sexual object. And I don't want to be distracting anybody with my thick thighs in this mm-hmm. kind of environment. And that, that really stuck with me, even as I got older. I think I feel it more being a girl of size because I feel everything we do or skin that we show is over-sexualized. But we are starting to see it younger and younger with females. And I believe that you're right. I do think men are starting to kind of see and feel it and in media. And I don't know. I, I really hope that men can start using their voice and their position and their privilege to kind of start saying, this is enough. I think we need to back up a little bit because we just dived right in with all the feelings. What is sexualization? Like, what do we mean by sexualization of Mm. girls and women? Well, 
I think when we, we, we talk about this, I mean, this is a portrayal of them in sexual manner. I, I get that. Mm. I know it's one of those things of, it, it sounds so simple almost. It's just really right. portraying. I know it does. It does. It's, it's literally what it sounds like. It's literally what it sounds like. And the thing is we've had a very, very long history of over-sexualization and that's just the, the exploitation of a woman's figure in a sexual manner. Do you know? I, I don't know if you would. I feel like that, that might even be too specific. I would go back to what you were like, like saying before is just the idea of women as sexual objects, regardless of what their feelings are. Just walking down the street, most women in most situations aren't like, hey, come at me. But, mm-hmm. but men take it as an invitation, right? Like it's somehow just you walking down the street is some sort of implication of your sexual readiness or to be seen as an object to me the most basic definition of the sexualization it's like being seen as sex objects regardless of anything else Mm -hmm. like because i mean i want to be seen as sexy and in that way in certain situations Mm -hmm. but definitely not when i'm walking down the street yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with women being seen as sexy and and being seen in that way. It's just it's all the time. <laughs> I think yes. it's the issue, regardless of the woman's desire in that moment. Well, I think it's also for, of course, like I mean, I agree that I want to be viewed as sexy. Of course, I do, but I think it's also how we are treated in that because hmm. I think we can still yeah. men can still say that woman is sexy let me go ahead and not holler at her do you know what I mean and still treat yeah, her totally. regard her with respect because I believe that you can say something is beautiful attractive sexy you know even art and, and I think that's what's really challenging about this topic is making sure we're not talking about how women even perceive themselves or our liberation or freedom with our own sexuality but this mm. is simply I think sexualization has to do with the treatment and yeah. does that make sense? I think yeah, that, that that's what sense. I think that's what actually makes it because there's being like being deemed and viewed as sexy, which, like I said, I think the issue I have with that is like girls younger and younger and younger just simply being viewed and being portrayed as being sexy. But overall, I think it's the the output and how women are being treated with that engaging with that emotion with that, you know, objectification of how they are looking. Yeah. I mean, even like I said, we, um, there have been l- loads of recent buzz, but this has not been around. This is not a news story about a uh, woman named uh, Sarah Bartman. She was born in 1851 and she is from like the, the Eastern Cape. And of course this is during a massive amount of slavery time. I mean, the, her story is horrifically tragic, orphaned, very, very young, lost a child, Husband was killed by the Dutch. But this woman, because of where she is from, the part of Africa she is from, she has a very, her features are larger size. She has an enlarged buttocks, darker skin, Mm. full uh, bosom, very full lips, and uh, very tight, tight Afro kinky hair. Stunning, stunning woman. And the thing is within her own tribe, that is not an unusual look. That is just how they look. But of course, when she um, goes and gets captured by the Dutch, then there are people there being like, oh my goodness, 
when you sign this contract, you person who is illiterate and cannot read, sign a contract, come travel with us to London. And in five years, you can be free. And the, the thing that is the most heartbreaking part about this particular history, and like I said, we all have Wikipedia, um, Bartman with two A's. I really encourage people to go look this up and read it. There's amazing articles, stories, and videos about this woman. They went and basically put her in Piccadilly Center in, in London and just had her displayed there. Like th- that was the show. People would come and she would be in very, very little clothing, predominantly flesh colored, maybe some feathers and maybe some beading, normally smoking a pipe. And people would simply just come and stare. And it, <laughs> you want to say admire, but gawk, gawk at her um, the size of her her buttocks, and even some people pay extra to see her. They say like enlarged labia. It was just on display, and her, her story continues to go even f- further into tragedy. Of course, they assume that you know people would pay extra in in prostitution, and people try to fight for her rights when slavery was abolished, but end up staying with captors. She ended up being sold to, I believe, an animal show which she'd be showed along elephants and rhinoceroses. And she, she died very, very young. And the most tragic part I also believe as well is that her remains, I think her brain, her, I think her genitals as well were pickled and put into jars, I believe in Paris. Yeah. In Paris. And they were just put on display and they made a mold cast of her body as well. And her remains stayed there in a Paris museum until Nelson Mandela, I gosh, I think maybe in the earliest, the 2000s, I would have to double check that. They're like, can we please have her remains and lay her into rest in South Africa? Oh, it was also her skeleton. There we go. Her skeleton was also put on display in Paris. But just for that reason, I mean, people would come from miles around to view this woman's body and to gape at it. And then they would also do science experiment on this person's body it's one of those things of just a sexual science as well. They're saying how erotic her, her body was because it, you know, at the time, apparently bottoms were in that year. It's just nothing has really, really changed. I believe we might not have women out there with mirrors. You pay a couple of quid and you go see them, but I still feel like women's bodies are a freak show, you know? Mm. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I think saying nothing has really changed is a bit extreme. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm I just going to ex- call you out on that <laughs> right now. I still feel like it's an extreme. I guess when I look at it and I see these video vixens out here, what we talked about even before in beauty, where they go, it just looks different. It is the, the same style of paying a couple of dollars and seeing a women's body filleted out there because they've got these unique features that right. are tantalizing. I think it just is masked and parade is something dip it's something different. Yeah. I agree, but I think there's a lot more agency. Like women have more agency over that oh, than Sarah Bartman did. So like I, I wouldn't I would say it's still bad. And particularly if we're talking about women of color And black women in particular, I think there is this idea that black women's bodies are either invisible or hyper visible, right? Like it's always one extreme or the other. It's like we're going to ignore black women or it's like we're going to 
talk about nothing but their body and like yeah. how sexual it is. So I agree with that. I but I think you know saying that it hasn't changed is a bit extreme. <laughs> I'm always known to be extreme. I get you know I will say we're not putting our genitals in jars anymore. So I will concede yeah. that we are no longer doing that. I think you're right. There is there's sexualization of women and then there's sexualization of women of color, which I think happens in a much different way than just generally. So if we're if we're looking at all women their behaviors within society, the like being hollered at. Something that we didn't talk about was like an advertising rate. We t- yeah. touched on this in in the beauty episode, but women are used in advertising in sexual ways almost always. Oh yeah, uh, there was um the American Psychological Association did a study on sexualization of girls and women in media, and found that girls tend to be depicted in a sexual manner more often than than boys with women in advertising and this is across magazine advertising so they did a study of 60 different magazines and 51 almost 52% of advertisements that featured women featured them portrayed as sex objects but then when they looked at just advertisements in magazines aimed towards men 76% of the time women were portrayed as sexual objects. And so we talk about often, you know, sex cells or whatever, but what we really mean is like the sexualization of women cells. Not that men don't get sexualized, but they definitely don't get sexualized at the rates that women do. And so yeah. that's like general, but I think I think you're right in talking about the specific historical instance of a woman of color being sexualized so openly and so blatantly. That's what happens so often for all women of color, right? Because our bodies are shaped differently. And so curvy is seen as sexy, regardless of what you do with it, right? Like you're not trying to be sexy, but all of a sudden it's just seen as sexy. People who are mixed race, we have to occupy a weird space in between that, right? Uh I do. Well, no, no, I I think you're completely right. Well, we even talked about it before of just like this, this, this idea of you get to kind of have it all a little bit of that, that, that allure of someone who is different, or I know our favorite word exotic, what I I Mm. can't wait to talk about that word. But even just like, if we think about like, predominantly like uh, black women and Latina women, we look at shape, then we think about, okay, scientifically, we're going to be drawn to fuller lips, rounder bottoms, you know, yada, yada, yada. And of course, then we look at more of a European shape, it looks a little bit different. So to me, I'm wondering if it's even just a physicality attraction to something physiologically, or if it's just because it's a contrast, it's just different. I've always struggled. And I've always wanted to know if someone out there way smarter than me, what, what the research looks about that, because then you look at um, if you go more towards like Asian cultures, they're not necessarily known specifically for being curvy and they're incredibly sexualized. Then I think they are because I think they tend to seem and appear a bit younger. And, and for that, I think that is, um, <laughs> that is a, a door I'm even afraid to open. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that. I think the ideal is always set by the culture in which it occurs. So definitely, Asian cultures, the ideal tends to be a 
or East Asian, I should say, tends to be like a smaller framed and not necessarily curvy shape because that's not as prevalent in that in that society, I guess. But I think I remember in an anthropology class in college reading something or the professor talking about something about that a little bit that was talking about generally, and this is so heteronormative, I hate even like fucking talking about it, but men are attracted to women who look younger because it's, they're more fertile, I guess, you know, like they can have more babies. And so like when you're young, like you still have all these years ahead of baby making. So and I think we see this across cultures, right? Like young people are seen as more attractive. And so it's not just Asian cultures and being attracted to a more thin frame, I guess. It's like mm-hmm. all cultures are attracted to young people, people mm-hmm. who look young. And and that was also in this class they were talking about lighter hair is more attractive and like all these weird things that was like now in retrospect you know 15 years later I'm like man not only was that so heteronormative but it was also so like fucking Eurocentric I can't even (laughs) handle it that but that's the point we are told that there is this revered ideal of beauty which we even talked about before like the American beauty what we deem to be beautiful but then what overwhelmingly in media and culture and consumption what we deem to be sexy and i think Mm -hmm. that i think that right there i find incredibly fascinating and also frustrating because like i said i think when we think of features like the complete opposite of what you're saying of darker skin and fuller bodies and dark hair and you know dark eyes the whole nine yard are not deemed to be beautiful but they're good enough to be sexy Hmm. Like, when the hell did this happen? I mean, that's a dumb question. I know exactly when it happened, but it's just that 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 switch in their minds, you know. And of course, historically, we can look back and saying even when rape was finally to be made illegal, even though nothing would technically be done by it, that was against white women. Mm. So, for, for centuries, women of color were allowed to be raped and pillaged and taken advantage of for, for many years. I mean, that that speaking of something of normalizing things against uh, women of, of, of color, of what, what we do to them and how they're seen and how they're viewed. I think it also has to do with like um, a savageness. If we talk about women who are mm. not indigenous yeah. to America, they come here and they are meant to be tamed. You know, you talked about in magazines, they were <laughs> saying how many times women of color are compared to or portrayed almost animalistic Mm. do you know what i mean they had some of the famous models that they've done like in cages and they paint like an animal and they put them in the jungle and loincloth Uh, you even brought up in our disney episode they talked about like princess jasmine and pocahontas how their outfits are a lot of skin is showing in these outfits and we're talking shoulders we're talking midriffs i mean I don't believe, you know, belly buttons are showing. It's just, I think it's that idea of their, that savage kind of beauty. And that seems to be very erotic somehow, I think, in American culture. Yeah. And I think to take it back to what you were saying, it's that very different sort of sexuality between white women and women of color. So if women of color are seen as this, like, you know, exotic, sexy, like, 
rough course sort of what is the way white women are viewed sexually in your opinion oh then i <laughs> well we talked about this before what do you think of when you think about sexuality and a white woman do you think of pure virtuous mm. ideal traditional i mean to have sex with a white woman is superior you you've made it you've got it checked it in the bag you know, I think even if we just ask people, you know, right now, picture a very virtuous, pure woman. I mean, I can't help it but think of a pilgrim. It's not my best feature about me, but I automatically go to pilgrim. Like, See, I and I, I think, I think like a very light skinned, like light haired woman in like a white dressing gown that's all <laughs> is like there long wind? and is there wind flowing <laughs> i mean there could be wind but there yeah that that's like yeah my my mental image of like a pure virtuous woman is also is also that way and so i think as women of color who are part white we occupy that that space in between right so in some ways that makes us even more desirable because we're both exotic and sexy, but also a little bit pure, a little bit virtuous. <laughs> Just enough. But but that's the Just thing. It's like, it's like that horrific saying and like, she's a lady in the streets, but a freak in the sheets. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I know it's not poetic and it's not like, I can't be like, I got that from an NBC article, but it's true. I, I do feel like that way when we have that that ideal of sexuality with a mixed woman. We get those those homages to a shape and a curve and a, a desire, but you know, you don't the ethnicity doesn't feel like it's in your face. It's not something you actually have to address and incorporate in your relationship uh, relationship or into sexuality in itself. It's just yeah. enough to be there to count. Yeah. <laughs> no, um and I definitely have experience with with that, and I'm sure you do too. So I think I'd like to talk about some of the things that we hear way too often as mm. mixed race women when we're being sexualized. So like right off the bat, and I brought this up to you, but not here. <laughs> I read this article a while back that was uh, written by a mixed race woman. And she talked about feeling like she was always on display. Her ethnic ambiguity was like an invitation for men to hit on her. And usually, usually the opening line, which every man seemed to think was like, the first time it ever happened to her was them guessing her ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Like labeling her and guessing her her ethnicity and usually guessing incorrectly. <laughs> and I feel like I relate so much to that. I'm a little bit more ethnically ambiguous than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's always like a game for people. And then in the context of men approaching me, it's a way to hit on me. I do. That does seem, I, 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 here's the thing. I have seen it. I think especially like where we live, where it's a really beautiful melting pot and you do see more of that. I think my own experiences is people assuming I'm not mixed and almost getting like a disappointment a little bit. Mm. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's a two sided coin. It's either having that extreme disappointment because there's an idea of what a mixed woman looks like. And then there's that hint of like, Oh, Oh, well, maybe I am interested. My with during that of the invitation and the auction and, and the bitter, I feel like 
I will explain myself with a story. How about that? Because that's what everyone wants to hear. <laughs> a very young Damika in the bar. Not I'm not necessarily like a bar hopper, but that's what you do because there's nothing else to do in Albuquerque. At least you think so when you're young. We go to the bar and we're hanging out and music's playing. People are drinking, yada, yada, yada. And I'm hanging out with this guy who I think is somewhat kind of sort of cute. And, you know, well, we're all dancing a big group. And it's a big group. It's like one guy and like four or five girls. And we're just all kind of doing the whole like, yay, this is amazing. This is great. And there's two of us. It's like me and this beautiful girl who I think who is Latina. And I think like three white girls. And the guy comes up and tries to give me a kiss. And I let him give him like a little peck on the cheek. I was like, okay, how he's cute, whatever. So then he goes and gives the girl who is Latina a kiss on her cheek. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Maybe he's going to go do it to all the girls. Now he goes and gives them all a little peck. I'm like, cool, he's drunk. He's feeling himself. Then he goes to myself and Latina girl. He's like, now you two kiss. And he starts yeah. grabbing other guys. Yeah, he starts grabbing other guys. He doesn't say it to the other girls. And the thing is, I wish it was just like the first time I'd seen it happen. I have just never been in that situation before where he, because of our, you know, being mixed or ambiguous, it just has this eroticism about it and thinking that we were sexually more sexually liberated or more sexually free and next thing you know we're getting chanted about making out and throughout the of course we both said no no thank you we're we're outy and we just kind of both went our separate ways but the thing is throughout the night i couldn't help but see a pattern it would be you know two black girls or two spanish girls or other people would be a little bit more ambiguous or beautiful asian latina girl it was just seeing that pattern over and over again and i wish that was the only time I'd experienced it or felt it. But I feel that there is something about, I like that, that auction and that invitation. It's like an invitation in imposing upon me being more sexually experienced and more sexually free. Does that make sense? Mm. And mm. so that it wasn't, as, I wish it would have been like just guessing my ethnicity. It was not necessarily caring about my ethnicity. It was knowing that because I was some kind of mixture of beauty that I must be more free, more sexually open and more sexually available. See, but the way I'm, I'm seeing it in this story is it doesn't really have anything to do with being mixed. It just has to do with being other, like being not white. Like, mm. I think it's it's not necessarily a mixed thing. It's like, oh, that woman is not white thing. Right on. Trying to make other women kiss each other for your gratification <laughs> could be on the list. I don't know. Like, I feel like, but it's in, maybe it's not. I figured that was just like a all women experience that thing. I'm sure. I, I really, <laughs> I have. And you have. But that was like, that to me, I just, it was just like a pattern that I've seen of just like an invitation, like I said, of just seeing someone and being like, wow, they are different or I'm not quite sure what they mm. are. It just felt like just the presence of something different or not being able to guess being more, like I said, being more exotic. And as they say, in quotation marks, which is our favorite word of the day, of being more enticing and being more sexually free. And I just feel like being mixed just just that is that invitation. Just by simply being there invites that kind of attitude and treatment. Perhaps. I don't know. I'm not entirely convinced, but perhaps. Well, um, I mean, that's the joy of experiences, though. And maybe I just need to have better experiences. 
No, I just, I think that, like, that's something that all women have encountered. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily tied, like, and maybe it is, and maybe I just haven't recognized it, that it's tied to race. Like, I've definitely been in situations. At my sister's fucking wedding, the photographer tried to make me and my sister kiss. So, like... Like, Kiss, kiss? Like kiss, kiss. So I feel like it's just part of the woman experience. <laughs> oh, I don't. I completely. I don't disagree. But it was. I was just saying it for my. I feel like it was intensive, intensified by mm. being of color. Or you said with the pickup line, because even I've even seen it amongst like women who, in my mind, are obviously not ethnically <laughs> ambiguous as well. But it's um. It just goes along with things of like what we have done and what we've seen too much. And I think we can both agree. We have just seen and heard too much of these type of things of going back to the word exotic, right? Like being told you're so exotic and exotic, the word in and of itself, just I feel like it has sexual connotations. I don't know if that's just me, but to me, it sounds like a sexual word. It is. We've been called exotic and and I think there's there's lots of problems with this. One, it's usually directed at multiracial women or women of color. And it's a way of saying that you don't fit the typical white standard of beauty. <laughs> like, I'm just going to like otherize you right off the bat. So even though you're bombarded with this ideal version of beauty, you're never going to be that. You're exotic. Right. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. and usually anyone who tells you you're exotic, it's usually a white man. Almost always. (laughs) That is true. It's actually funny looking up the word. I'm like, okay, what are other words for it? I mean, actually, if you look it up, it was at dictionary.com. They actually have the word kinky underneath it. Really? Yeah. It's like dictionary.com. I was like, okay, what are just other words that people could use instead of exotic, you know? And that's really nice. I even put it's like alluring and fascinating. But then they have things like peculiar and avant-garde, kinky, outlandish, you know, foreign, important. I'm like, all all of these things, I'm like, these are not necessarily things I want to use to describe myself. No, and it's it definitely has this feeling of being like sexualized and being a commodity, right? <laughs> like exotic. It, it it sounds that way, and it's dehumanizing. And I mean, like I I can recall being called exotic even as a child, being told that I like look exotic, and like I've been I've been called exotic more times than I can count for sure. But there's one particular instance that makes me feel particularly uncomfortable thinking mm. about. It was when I was 15 and it was a white male teacher mm. telling me that I was exotic and beautiful. And it was just very uncomfortable to be told mm-hmm. that by like a guy in his like 40s as a 15 year old. I don't know. It's it's gross. No, it, it really is. And it almost seems kind of lazy. I don't know. It, it feels incredibly, incredibly lazy. Like I can't describe you. I can't put you in a box. And so it must be exotic. Like it, it's not it's not it's not from here. It's otherworldly. And um, but I wish people would know things like that aren't necessarily a compliment. I mean, we hear things also as well as like mixed race women are more attractive women. As well, 
which people, like I said, it almost sounds like a compliment, like off the top. Right. Almost, almost. So close. So, so close. It just, it feels like it disregards your beauty as a person. Mm. And I mean, like the larger implications, it discounts people of color who aren't mixed and implies mm-hmm. that anyone of color isn't attractive because they aren't white. But somehow, like, adding in a little bit of white makes you more attractive. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you, yeah, it just makes everything better with a little bit of cream. But it's, mm. but but they don't understand like the damage that does within not only the person you're giving that to, but within them and their own community. Because we already have issues with that of prioritize, prioritizing beauty within the community, which we've spoken before with colorism. And you're perpetuating that by saying things like "I wish I was mixed," and you know, it's it's just it's just not that. I wish it was just that easy, like poof, like what, what, because what they're asking for is an outside experience without any of the responsibility of carrying it around. Mm -hmm. And I think along those same lines, and we've talked about this before, this idea of like mixed babies are the most beautiful babies. And so I, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's like being told, oh, you'll make beautiful babies because you're mixed race. Like, Girl, if I had a nickel, whatever those are. No, it really is. And um, it's really devastating when you have this, you know, your your brand new newborn daughter. And like I said, my daughter's fairly light skin. And they're just, they gush about how beautiful her skin is. And you can, like, literally someone said, oh, my goodness, you can, she's so beautiful. Look at her skin. She is stunning. You can barely tell she's black. Like, they said that in... Yeah. one breath and not being able to hear what they have said. And for me, this, this topic, I guess has been challenging because I look at, like I said, I look at my daughter who is um, very ambiguous and makes an already at the age of five has had some really, in my opinion, inappropriate comments about her, her look about how she looks and how, you know, beautiful and she's stunning and she's gorgeous. And the intensity of it is just really uncomfortable um, for someone so young. And I feel like it's starting young for children who are mixed as well. I think we talked about it before. And um, I love Target. So this is no shade to Target. But I think I talked about like you go there, a lot of their advertisements are mixed kids. Mm. And I'm like, they must have a farm. This is unreal. Like, I'm so happy for the representation, but it's like they go and they go and engineer these beautiful mixed children and plaster them across all of their advertisements and all different kinds of curls and hues of yellows and browns and light eyes. And it's ridiculous. It's so intense. Every time I go there, I'm like, what? new mixture of mixed kids going to be portrayed at the target today. The issue isn't being told that you're beautiful or your daughter's beautiful, but mm-hmm. it's, I think it's, it's the manner in which it's expressed that has like these slight sexual undertones to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, cause I've been called like attractive by people and it didn't feel sexually charged before people can be like hey you look good and it doesn't feel like oh god you're sexualizing me (laughs) 
it, that, but that's what I was saying before earlier on. It's really about how you're being treated and how you're being perceived. I have no problem. Same thing. Compliments are great. I am for them. And I think it's that intensity. Mm. It is that, yeah. that intensity and the end, the end game of the compliment. <laughs> yeah. I really want to bring this up because I feel like, yes, we, and, and it's not a contest. I recognize it's not a contest, but yes, we have it bad, but I think, I feel like Hapa women have it the worst. Like women who are part white, part Asian have it the worst. Like, I feel like because they're, they're dealing with that hypersexualization of Asian women as like submissive. And then they're also dealing with like that white virtuous still being called exotic. And I don't know, like, I don't, I, I was reading an article, a super old article about when they thought that bachelorette or something was going like to have a hapa woman as as the bachelorette and it was like a big deal Ooh. and i guess that didn't pan out and it ended up being a white woman because you know that's that's what's on tv <laughs> but it talked about how even within like these reality shows the women who like last in the bachelor tend to be white women and the only women of color who have like made it anywhere near the end are hapa women half asian and it's because it's like just enough of that exotic but not too much of it mm-hmm. yeah i don't know it's, we can still I, bring her home to mama yeah i guess yeah that, that must be it and i mean i'd love to hear hear from some some women um about their experience their particular experience because it's you know not our experience so it's a little no. different even if i am perceived as hapa most <laughs> of the time <laughs> and, and and i mean it, and that is a whole thing i had a boyfriend in high school who went to a different school so i didn't really know his friends very well but he like straight up lied to his friends and told them that i was asian because he said it makes you sound like more exotic and interesting. Mm. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's gross. No, I'm telling you, maybe like that word. Ugh. ugh. It's it's awful. But I, but we see it quite a bit in fashion as well. You see that a mm. lot with Hapa women as well. A lot, a lot in fashion. Um, because it's demure that you get that best of both worlds where we're talking about. You get that little bit of something just a, a different shape of eye or, or hair texture or skin tone, but still just enough European to be like, you know, she can still be on the front cover. It's um, that, that article that you, you sent me about The Bachelor, which I know is like your favorite show of all time. Um, <laughs> I've never seen any Bachelorette or Bachelor. I can't even like intelligently talk about this show, but I found show- the article very interesting. It is because here's the thing: like I don't watch it, but I have loads of friends who do. Bless them, just bless them. It, it, it's a multi-million-dollar brand show, whatever you want to call it. But if you read the article, it sounded like it was done in a very positive light, wasn't it? Because it was an older article. They were done. Mm-hmm. They were making it seem like this was a step in the right direction, and how one of the male contestants actually picked a woman who was Hapa and she went, he went to go meet her family and how a beautiful blend of culture it was. And I'm like, this article didn't even hear its own tone of what it was doing to, to mixed women. 
you know, that was the part that was most frustrating about this particular article and also hilarious. Yeah. And I loved the quote. um, And by love, I mean, hate the -hmm. quote about one of the bachelors or something that had chosen a Hapa woman as the like winner Mm -hmm. uh, who said, I always say the mutts are the most exotic and beautiful. Oh, 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 girl. Like, I will sometimes like jokingly refer to myself as a mutt, but I don't want some white guy <laughs> saying I'm a mutt. Same. Well, it goes back to like, they just made me into an animal. They literally just put a leash exactly. on me and just made me into an animal, into a pet, a pet they get to have sex with, which says a lot more about them than it does me. And the worst part is I feel like I don't even have a solution to this outside of just bringing this to light. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the part that I find most frustrating is that how do we get, how do we change people's minds? How do we unsex or lower the sex? I don't like, I, I don't, I, I honestly, I, I, I feel quite defeated in this and how do we stop making women who are mixed others Stop otherizing them. Yeah, I, and I think this has been our solution for everything that we've talked about, is it just needs to be brought out into the open and talked about and it becoming more normalized for people to share their experiences, women to share their experiences about this with other people, with other women, with with men, uh, in order to to realize that these things are happening. And so that way people can start calling out other people on their shit when they see it happening, right? So it's like, unfortunately, with all of these social issues, it's hard for the people with the least social capital to make systemic changes. So like, I can go out there and, and preach this all I want, but it's not going to have the same impact as like, a white man telling another white man to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. Like that has like more clout for a lot of people than anything I say. And, and I could very easily, you could very easily fall into like a defeatist attitude about it. Mm-hmm. But I guess we just have to believe that putting it out there and talking about it will make things change eventually. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm all for the change. And I, I think you're right. And it's just trying to get predominantly those who have the say in the capital white males of why, why it matters, why this matters. I mean, you brought up that, that horrific statistic about the amount of what 76% of mm-hmm. was it men magazines or women as a yeah. man that that should mess you up. <laughs> that should right? really that should bother you. I mean, we, I think yes. we talked about before, why, why should men care about beauty? Because the world is women and you should just care. This The same thing. Why should you care? And I had a long, long t- a thought about this in past ones. Why should you care? Because you're being sold a lie. Like speaking directly to men. Not only should you just care because women make up over half of this earth and you were birthed from a woman. You know, you probably know women in your life. Just take a look to your left and your right. But also you're being sold a lie that that is not femininity. That is not real. That is not how women should be betrayed. You're being took. That is a gimmick. You are being used. Used to something stirring to you sexually to buy whatever product, whatever 
selfish thing you don't need into this consumerism using a woman's body? Should you not be bothered by that? Totally. Yeah, I think on a personal level, be bothered. But as you said, too, do you want to live in a world where women of all types are hypersexualized mm-hmm. and then it has all these mental effects on us too, right? Like we have anxiety about our appearance and then we have these feelings of shame and then eating disorders and low self-esteem and depression and all of these things are kind of rooted in that. Just some other statistics about that stuff. Only 11% of girls worldwide call themselves beautiful, think of themselves as beautiful. Mm. And like, even though we're hypersexualized, <laughs> no one thinks of themselves as beautiful. Like, how because it's not synonymous? That? Isn't that crazy? Like, it's not synonymous. It beauty and sexuality—they're they're not one in the same. And that's the part no. that is—it's a mind job, isn't it? And it's not just American, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, eighty-one percent of ten-year-old girls in the U.S. are afraid of being fat, which is. That's a whole fucking thing to unpack there. But it's not just Americans. Like Australian girls say that body image is one of their top three worries in life. One third of six-year-olds in Japan experience low confidence in their bodies. That's insane. It's also insane. Talk about the market for their in works of trying to make a teenage diet pill that they can sell. (sighs) And they can market. Yeah. It's re- it's it's absolutely disgusting. Diet pills for teenagers. It it's it it blows my mind. And the thing of it is, like once again, if that does not appeal to you as a as a white male, still, if that if those numbers still don't bother you, look at the climate that we're in today. We touched on it slightly before, but you know, for many many reasons, didn't go into it. The the documentary that went out. Uh, about the R. Kelly documentary. Yeah. That right there. If you haven't seen it, if you know, if you think you can are in a good mental space to watch it, it can be very, very triggering, especially if you've gone through a controlling relationship or if you've had experience with, with rape or being held hostage. I do warn you, but I also encourage you to watch it in its entirety. The thing is, I'm, I'm not going to give you a massive play-by-play, but what I am going to say is that there have been a lot of, especially young girls and young women of, of color in general, and a lot of also said mixed women as well, that have been under the control of this, I use man very loosely in this. But there was something that they have said really in there of saying that this particular documentary has shown that people aren't caring about women of color in a sexual nature and the increasing intensification of sexual assault amongst women of color and mixed women. And I think that deals with the intensity that we have of hypersexualization of women, especially at a very young age. And the thing is, it's progressing. I think that's it's intensifying so, so much that we're seeing a rise of these violent sexual crimes happening but they're not being treated and they're not being attacked and they're not being addressed as firmly and as quickly and as severely as I think those women who are white. And I'm very rarely very much like, you know, of course I love like a big bold statement, but what we're seeing this is that it's slowly coming out with like the, the me too movement and things of that nature. But I still feel like women of color in general 
are still not getting the the coverage and the say. Well, women of color are even ostracized within the Me Too movement. And that's like oh, yeah. a discussion for another day. But I think Girl. you're right. Like if if we're seeing women of color and mixed race women, if we're seen as already sexual, like mm-hmm. exotic and sexual, then it's easier to dismiss sexually based crimes that happen to us because it's like oh she was asking for it like look at the way she looks and or you know or she likes it or you know it's mm-hmm. it's easy to to use that as an argument for not seeking justice for those women so exactly. i agree i agree with you and, and it's just you should care about that like that that should bother you that women of of any like non or um Non-European women are, what was it, one in 10 for every one woman of color in general, mixed or otherwise, who reports being assaulted and or rape. There's anywhere between 10 to 15 that don't report it. And just having that space from with justice statistics like that, that should that should really it should really bother people that in itself of like, why does this matter? Why should we otherize women of color? It's escalating, creating spaces to where women aren't safe. And that should bother men. So on that super happy note. <laughs> <laughs> we need to care. It's 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 an everyone's problem. I mean, and that's that's any any social issue we cover. Like social issues by by definition are social issues. They mm, affect all of society, not just the the victims or the oppressed or whoever is like suffering the direct consequences of it it'll affect everyone but i'm ready to hear about your happy place and <laughs> cleanse <laughs> my palate of this yes we need this more than ever so my happy place is let me ask you all right before i let me ask you a question yeah and this did you watch The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air when you were young? Of course, obviously. That, yes, that is the complete and right answer. I wouldn't have accepted anything else. So <laughs> I wouldn't have accepted anything else. So today I have learned that I guess it, I think it's going to be on a YouTube series. This guy, Morgan Cooper, is doing a relaunch, but a reimagination of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a drama entitled Bel-Air. What? It's a drama? Yeah, it's serious. Same basis, but yes, exactly. in a dramatic, like West, the West Wing. Yes. <laughs> well, West Philadelphia, born and raised. No. Exactly. And, exactly. And the trailer is so well done. You have to look it up, Morgan Cooper. And Will Smith has actually already seen it and has made his reaction and has invited the gentleman who has done it to speak to him about it. And um, But they're just saying, you know, because the show was a comedy, there's just a lot of places they just couldn't go. It just didn't go with the show. But they're saying that now because you're doing it in a dramatic way, there's just so many amazing social issues they'll be able to probably tackle that beforehand. We were just not – that's not what the 90s was about. It was bright colors, good vibes. I don't know. There was definitely after-school special vibes in some of the episodes. I remember the episode where Will's dad bails on him again and Uncle Phil – 
That was super after school special. Like I think <laughs> it, it was there. So I can see the I can see that? the development. Um I don't know. I I don't really have a good sense of the order of the episodes. <laughs> I would be really concerned and impressed if you did. But I I'm just so excited to be able to like dig deep further into that and even just classism even when, within one's race. It will just be really interesting to reimagine this. No, I'm into it. I'm into it. I'd watch it. But what's with like all this reimagining of shows Mm -hmm. as like a more dramatic version? Like the new Sabrina, (laughs) the new Sabrina, the old Sabrina was so goofy. Mm -hmm. And the new Sabrina is all super dark. I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm there for it. I mean, it was my happy place once, but it was. Oh, have you caught up? I haven't caught up yet. I I have not caught up with the the latest, but mm-hmm. someday, someday it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, same. But yeah, I I just think it was just so well done, and I love that you that this kind of genre of podcasting and YouTube, and I love that people can use mediums to really bring art that has those answers to no one. Do you know mm. what I mean? So that was my happy place. Cool. What was your happy like place. Uh, my happy place this week is a book. Ooh. That I am not quite finished with yet, but I am getting there. And it is the new Michelle Obama book, Becoming. Ooh. I got it from the library, so that's why I'm a little late to the game. Because uh, I had to wait till it was available. I was on a wait list for a while. I'm really enjoying enjoying it. I never drank the Obama Kool-Aid when, mm. when he was running, when Barack was running. Because I'm just so jaded about all things. <laughs> Obviously miss him every day now that we live <laughs> in this country. He's the one and- that got away. Well, no, and I recognize, like, there's a lot of problematic things politically, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I've just, I've found reading this book has been, like, so humanizing of not only Michelle, who wrote the book, and it's largely about her experience, but also of of Barack as well. And I, I love the way that she doesn't shy away from talking about like the issues in their relationship and the issues Mm. with him. She doesn't paint him as a saint and she doesn't paint her relationship as, you know, perfect. And I think that's just so refreshing to read. No, like, I don't know. It's, it's really nice. And I, I like highly recommend it to anybody. And I think particularly listeners of this podcast would be interested and reading it because it talks about a lot about her experience as a black woman and then also what she perceives as Barack's experience as a mixed race man. So it's it's fascinating. I, I'm enjoying it, um, even though I'm not like a big fan of the Obamas necessarily. Uh, but but my my tangent I want to go off on <laughs> about. Oh, the book. I love a tangent. Yeah. So I said I didn't really drink the Obama Kool-Aid, but when he was first running in the first primary elections against a variety of people, but ultimately just against Hillary Clinton, I was living in Japan and the prefecture that I lived in was home to Obama City. So (laughs) 
So everyone around me like wanted my opinion about the American primary election, Democratic Ooh. primary election, which is crazy. Like nobody asked if I was like a Democrat or if I was voting because like I'm sure they didn't really have a sense of like exactly what was happening because I don't ever really have a sense of exactly what's happening in elections <laughs> outside of the U.S. But so everyone wanted my opinion on Obama all the time because we lived in a prefecture where there was a city called Obama. They were huge fans of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. you know, like the mayor sent him chopsticks and like all this stuff. <laughs> and if you would like take the train there, they would like sell special like Obama like T-shirts that had Obama oh, wow. on them. It said Obama. So you were saturated like, against your will. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's why. Also, why I, I was never. I think so I'm starting to get down to the root issue here. It was against your will. <laughs> it wasn't your choice, so you had to rebel. No, seriously, I was like, I was a teacher when I was living in Japan, I taught junior high. And one day I got asked to go into the principal's office. And he seriously just wanted to know what I thought about Obama. Like, that, like, I got asked to go to the principal's office. So he could ask me about Obama. It was crazy. Yikes. And see, I think I have like the reverse problem now because I was at I was at a Pesha. I went to like a, I got invited to a Passover meal. I was a Pesha. And at the very end, like they someone mentioned during this beautiful religious sacred ceremony about Trump. And I'm like, well, now my matzo ball soup is tainted. This is awful. <laughs> like, it's just, there's a whole other thing, whether, however you feel politically, it's just, it's a different kind of asking about the president kind of climate. How interesting mm. for you, though. My mom got me the book Becoming this past Christmas. And I, I got, literally, I was so cool that I got several books for Christmas. And I'm so slow of, like, chipping away at them. But she's on there. I think she's, like, next or second to next um the books but it's good i think you'll really mm, enjoy it i might have to skip ahead because then we can discuss yeah. <laughs> it's good and and i mean to be clear like i wasn't annoyed by being asked about my opinion of him like i had a very <laughs> like not a super informed opinion at that time because it was like the primary election so i only knew like some policy stuff i didn't know much about his life story or I don't I don't know. I I was like it's interesting. I you know, like and and oh, and my principal asked me if I was going to vote for him, which I thought was oh. like that's crazy. Like you can't really ask crazy. an employee that, but I guess we're not in the US, so it doesn't really matter. And maybe that's what it was, just like even within, I'm sure like you've had waves of just culture shock. And I'm sure that was just like another one cuz I don't I I don't imagine it. Is it a quite open politically? Like people would just do that in general and we're just not used to that. Uh, no, no, I, no. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm like, I didn't <laughs> think like, I don't think they were that politically open. So that's what makes it even more confusing. And do you know? In my experience in Japan, even when I I was there, not the last time, but the time before visiting an Abe's prime minister, Shinzo Abe, um, and he was actually prime minister when I was living there, which was kind of funny because um, it's crazy. not like he's been prime minister that whole time. So he was then and then he was not for a long time. And, and now he is again. But a lot of people didn't like him and didn't like his policies. They don't like him. But you, ca- it's so hard to like 
drag that out of somebody. Nobody wants to actually talk about it. The, oh. There's a lot of like, well, oh. <laughs> that's the response. They won't actually say anything. So oh. it, it was it's kind of surprising that he was so directly being, are you going to vote for him? Who are you voting for? Wow. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So happy places, TV shows, books. And they're both kind of nostalgic. I guess they, oh it's gosh, the nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> I think that just happens like on this side of 30 where you're just like, oh, remember? <laughs> we were like trying to watch music videos last night because I just want to want to be current. And I found myself not. I was not. I didn't understand. I'm like, where's the plot? Why isn't that explaining the song? Like it was awful. It was all... Uh, it was very telling. Yeah, I don't know like what recent music videos I've even seen. Mm. It's a different world. I, I mean, I saw I the, the Billy the Billy Elish one for. <laughs> um, I mean, I love her. I also love that uh, Rain Wilson like posted a picture. She's like a huge Office fan, and oh, so really? like she met Rain Wilson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Girl, like, there's a song on her new album that has just a bunch of snippets from The Office interspersed in it. And it's my fave. I love it. Is it your jam? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) Rain Wilson, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight on The Office, posted a picture Mm -hmm. with her and she met him. And and he was like, this is me and William Eyelash, which I thought was brilliant. Oh, uh, that is hilarious. <laughs> there we go. Um, so yeah. also tangents are our happy place today. You ne- tangents you are out- always, always our, our happy, happy place. place. After that kind of topic, you need a, ta- you like, you really do need a really good tangent though. Yeah. Well, that's all for this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have been all over the map Thank you Mm -hmm. for coming with us. Yeah, I hope you packed light. (laughs) Let us know what you you thought of this episode. If you have thoughts or feelings, you Mm -hmm. can reach out to us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. Or you can follow us, comment at us, send us messages at any of the major social media platforms we're on facebook and instagram as biracial unicorns and we're on twitter as biracial magic so follow us like us do all the things Mm, yes also please give a big shout out and love to uh the adeli pop art who made our amazing logo then we also have joseph scott of citizens of tape city who did our awesome music uh, please follow them both and give them so much love. And yeah, uh, check out our Instagram page. We are always announcing fun things going on in our lives. And yeah, we'd love to have a dialogue, as we've said before. Agree, disagree, tell us about your day. Matters not. We just want to hear from you. Yeah. And so we'll be back with a mini next week and a full episode in two weeks. So make mm-hmm. sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends so they subscribe. So peace. Out. Oh.